The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service of Berean Baptist Church. All right, take your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to read the first 12 verses. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his, I want you to notice that next word, will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, there's that word again, according to his good pleasure, that's another word I want you to focus on, which he hath purposed, there's another one, in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Let's pray before we go any further. Father, we come before you today with praise and thanksgiving. We thank you, Lord, for the grace that we have. We thank you for the salvation that you've given to us. And Lord, we thank you for the strength and the wisdom to live our lives according to your purpose and will. Help us today as we, as we look into your word to find strength, that we might uh, find uh, a purpose in our life that we might go forward in, in, in boldness for you. Thank you for all that are here. I pray you'd bless this time we have in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me now to Romans chapter 8. If you would. Romans chapter 8. And we're going to read verses 28 through 30. And we read here, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. 
Last time I, I spoke, I think it was like a month or so ago, um, I, I preached a message on right thinking. And I took a sideline on that right thinking message, and we considered the mind of Christ. We learned three important philosophies concerning the right attitude from the mind of Christ. The first thing we learned was that Jesus acknowledged the will of the Father. He didn't, he didn't fight it. He didn't resist it. He acknowledged that all things that were going to happen to him were according to the will of God. And that's an important step for us. It's important that we understand the things that we go through in this life are, in, are, are from the will of God. So we have to have the right attitude about everything we face. Secondly, we learned that Jesus accepted the way of the Father. And, and perhaps all of us in this room that today, we're on a path, we're on a course that we don't really necessarily like. And sometimes we resist taking that course. Sometimes we resist going down that path. But Jesus accepted the path that he must walk because he knew that it was in the Father's will that he walked that path. And thirdly, we learn that Jesus accomplished the work of the Father. Now what caused him to accomplish the work of the Father was his attitude, his, his right thinking. Acknowledging and accepting the will of God led him, led him to accomplishing the will of God in his life. And so often Christians fail to accomplish the work and the will of God in their lives because they don't have the right attitudes. Now today, I'd like to continue with that frame of thought, that, that theme of the right attitude, as it pertains to the will and purpose of God. My study this morning will focus on Romans 8.28. Here we are told that all things work together for good, right? Look at verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good. But is that necessarily true? You see, we need to consider this word good. Good is a subjective term. What's good to me might not be good to you. And what's good to you might not be good to me, right? Can we all agree on that? Can we all agree that good is a, sub a subjective term? It is subject to the opinions of the individual. Now, we understand this morning that Scripture is not translated subjectively. We can't, we can't look at Scripture and use our, use our own opinions to, to translate it. Right? Opinion is not to be translated subjectively. A scripture is not to be translated subjectively. It's always translated definitively. There's always one right interpretation to God's word. Now, since we all understand this, then this term good cannot be applied Subjectively, it cannot be applied to the individual opinion of the reader. Because what is good to me, as I said earlier, may not be good to you. And it may not be good for me, and it may not be good for you. 
Therefore, I must come to the conclusion that this term good is, is applied to the, to the wisdom of God, the will and purpose of God. In other words, we could paraphrase this verse saying, we know that all things in the life of the believer work out according to the will and the purpose of God. Now this takes, this takes that verse out of the realm of the subjective and places it into the realm of the definitive. It also dispels the opinion that everything revolves around my personal happiness and well-being. For it is historically evident that things do not always work out in this life for the individual's happiness and well-being, right? Can we agree with that? Can, can we say that everything in life doesn't work out for, for, for our good? It just doesn't. And if, if it has for you so far, see me after the services, please. If we were to fall victim to the philosophy of the prosperity-driven doctrines of today, we will set ourselves up for great disappointment. I have heard many believers tell me that they know that all that things are going to get better because God promised to work out everything for our good. But that's not true. That philosophy is, is driving your car head-on into a semi-truck. Now, while it is certainly true that sometimes, sometimes the events of our life end up well, right? Sometimes things turn out nice and happy and good, but not always. I mean, think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It turned out good for them, didn't it? Yeah, they got tied up and thrown into a furnace and they were walking around in there. The king looked down in there and said, hey, didn't we throw three men in there? They said, yes, king, we threw three. Well, you said, I see four. And they're walking around loose. And the fourth is like unto the Son of God. And it worked out real great for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It really did. It worked out pretty good for Joseph, too, right? Joseph was thrown into captivity and and he went through all those years of, of, of slavery and everything else. And he ended up in the second seat in Egypt. It ended up really good for Joseph. But God is not obligated to make only good things happen to you and to me. Good, as we perceive it to be, happens to you and me only... Only when it is according to the will and purpose of God. Did you hear that? Good things happen to you when it's according to God's will for them to happen to you. Now, it is important for me to note that in the ultimate sense, everything ends up good for us. In the ultimate sense, everything for me will be hunky-dory. Because no matter what I go through in this life, I'm going to be with the Lord in heaven for all eternity. So it, it, it's, ultimately, it's all going to end up good. But in the temporal sense, we have no assurance of living in a rose garden. We have no assurance of happiness tomorrow. 
However, we do have the assurance that our paths are ordered by the Lord. And all things will work out as God has willed them to work out for us, according to his divine purpose. In Psalm 37, in verse 23, the psalmist writes, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Such a man as is blessed of the Lord, the steps which he takes in life are ordered, are willed by the word, by the Lord, both with respect to things temporal and spiritual. His good conduct is not of himself. It is a blessing of the Lord who directs and keeps the feet of his saints. Have you ever, have you ever, ever felt yourself wandering away from the Lord a little bit? And there's something just tugging, tugging you back, tugging you back, tugging you back. Yeah. Any of you ever experienced that? Am I the only one that ever experienced that? Yeah, sometimes we, sometimes we're, we're not as, as, as close to the Lord as we should be. Sometimes we're not as, as, as warm in our, in our, in our faith as we should be. But something keeps pulling us back. And that something is the Holy Spirit of God. He doesn't let us wander away. He doesn't let us go. He keeps pulling us back. Our good conduct is not because we are good. It's because of the blessings of the Lord. And he inclines us. He inclines our steps. Which steps we should take. And, and, and pursue the methods that he lays before us. Which he, the Lord, succeeds and prospers. So we need to understand that. We need to understand that God has a will and he has a purpose for each of us. And he directs our paths. He's the one that he's the one that pushes us and guides us and leads us. Do you think a Cajun from Louisiana ended up in a pulpit in California on my own? Shad, no way. <laughs> no way this Cajun boy would have, would have... There's no way I'd have walked all the paths I've walked in the last 40 years if it were not for the Lord leading and guiding and pushing and sometimes paddling me and spanking me and getting me back on the right road. God delights in, our, in, in the paths that he wills for us. He approves of them. He guides us. He directs us. Now we need to understand these things. We need to understand this because they will affect our attitude concerning the things we face in life. Attitude is everything. Our attitude leads our thoughts. Our attitude leads our actions. We must have the right attitude when it comes to this matter of the will and purpose of God. So with the time that I have this morning, I'm not going to be long, I hope. Allow me to share some thoughts with you. As you and I walk the paths that God has laid before us and we go through this life, we're going to encounter problems, we're going to encounter difficulties, we're going to face challenges. As we go along the the road, number one, let me say this. No matter what happens, exalt the person of God. 
exalt the person of God. If you have your Bible open, turn to Job chapter 1. Now, we all know the story of Job. Job uh, was, a, was a righteous man. The Lord called him a righteous man. One that eschewed evil, which means he, he despised evil and he, he shunned it. He kept it away from himself. But the devil came to, to before, present himself before the Lord and he said, have, what about Job? You know, Job, Job blesses you because you've blessed him. Take away what he has and watch how fast he'll curse you to your name. So God told Satan, he said, okay, you can take everything Job has, but don't touch his life. So the devil went out there and he took all of Job's cattle and all of Job's crops and, and all of Job's servants. Even went so far as to kill Job's children. And when they came to Job to tell him about what had happened, look at verse number 20. We read here in chapter, Job chapter 1 verse 20. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither to the Lord. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Now, in a human sense, we might think that Job had a reason to be bitter. He lived for God and even God stated that he eschewed evil. So on the surface, this, this trial upon Job would seem to be unfair, would seem to be unjust. But we have to remember this. God does not redeem this temporal life. That flesh that you're sitting in the pew and that you, you, you pamper and, right? You ladies, you put the makeup on, make sure every hair is in the right place, gloss up your lips, make them real shiny. You men, you, you comb your hair and you, you shave and you dress as nice as you can. This flesh that we worry about so much. We go to the doctor, right? We go to the doctor. I go to the doctor. I go to, I got a, I got a doctor's appointment tomorrow. I go to the doctor all the time. And all of this stuff that we're so worried about, God isn't going to redeem it. He doesn't redeem our flesh. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 52 and 53, we read in, the, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. God is not going to redeem our flesh. Our flesh will be consumed. This temporal life in our, in our flesh are important only to us, not, not to God. Now, 
it would be wrong for me to say that God does not care about what happens to us. However, God is more concerned with his will than the preservation of my flesh. In fact, the scripture tells us that God rejoices at the termination of our life on this earth. In Psalm 116 and verse 15, we read, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. There's rejoicing in heaven when we pass from this life to be with the Lord. You see, God's primary concern in the trial of Job was not Job's temporal happiness. He wasn't concerned with redeeming Job's flesh. We know that later he allowed Satan to corrupt the flesh of Job with, with uh, hideous uh, illness. Job suffered greatly. Bible says he sat on the garbage heap with broken pieces of pottery and scraped himself to, to open the boils to ease the suffering of his flesh. God wasn't concerned with Job's flesh. He was concerned with his own will and purpose. He was concerned with shutting the mouth of Satan. Job was the tool that God used in that moment to glorify his own name. And Job had the right attitude. Job knew I had nothing when I came into this life. I'll have nothing when I go out. All that I have is from the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If he chooses to take it all away, blessed be the name of the Lord. But so often we as Christians get mad at God because he took something away from us that that was probably causing us to do the wrong things. And so he removes them and we get angry and upset because our attitude is not right because we think we got to be happy and if we're not happy then God isn't isn't treating us right so we need to have that right attitude job was the tool God used to glorify his name naked came out I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away blessed be the name of the Lord he didn't become bitter he didn't feel sorry for himself he simply praised God now it, it no it it was Job's faith that sustained him through this trial. Not, not all that he had. It was his faith. And his faith came from his knowledge of God and his word. This knowledge shaped his attitude. His thinking, if you will. Job understood that God's will and purpose was all that mattered in that moment. That's all that mattered. God's will. God's purpose. Not, not earthly things. Not health, not wealth. And Job knew that God would never leave him, nor forsake him. Be content with such things as ye have, for ye know I will never leave you, nor forsake you. 
You have a nice home today? You have a nice home? Praise the Lord. You know that home could burn down? We've seen quite a few homes burn down in California, haven't we? The earth can, can tremor. We can have an earthquake. That house can go down. What about them? Will you still be happy? We, we don't need earthly things. You got a big bank account? If you do, I'd, I'd like to talk to you. We could strike up a deal, you and I. But you got a big bank account? Hey, you know, the market can crash and all that money can disappear. Overnight. Job's, all that mattered to Job was the will and purpose of God. Not, not earthly things, not health, not wealth. Job knew that God would never leave him nor forsake him. So in the midst of the hardships that you and I will face in this life, and we will face them, thank God and exalt his holy name. No matter what happens, remember, God is holy and God is just. And blessed be the name of the Lord. But secondly, in the, in the midst of hardships, which again we will all face, number two, employ the principles of God's word. Employ the principles of God's word. Let's all turn together to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, and we're going to just read a few verses there. Daniel chapter 6, let's look at verse 1. We read that it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these uh, three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Verse 4. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Daniel's, the, it, the scriptures say that, that Daniel was preferred because an excellent spirit was found in Daniel. In other words, a good attitude. Daniel had a good attitude. Now, we know from the history of Daniel's life that Daniel was not corrupt. Right? We know Daniel was not a corrupt man. He, he refused to eat the king's meat, if you remember. He, 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 he stood upon his biblical principles. He stood upon God's truth. So we, we understand this, uh, that Daniel had a good attitude. 
And he had that good attitude because he lived by the word of God. The Bible gives us two incidents where Daniel refused to take the safe road and and chose to obey biblical principles. In Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, where we see that Daniel refused to to defile himself with the king's meat. I spoke about it just, just a second ago. Daniel would not partake of those foods because they were unclean to to, to by his religious beliefs and he would not participate he could have just he could have just uh, eaten the meat and not worry about it right I mean he, after all he was a prisoner he was captive he could have just he could have just went along with with what his captors told him to do and 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 who would have blamed him I wouldn't have blamed him I'm sure probably most of most of the people that knew him wouldn't have blamed him But Daniel stood on principle. And in verse 10, we hear in Daniel chapter 6, look at verse 10. Now, leading into verse 10, these these evil presidents, what they did was they they brought up something that, um, they they rose up something that would defy the law of God, and they were going to tempt Daniel with that. So they, they convinced the king to pass the law, that no prayer or petition could be made to any god other than the king. So look at verse 10. Now we see here it says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, or in other words the law was passed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did a fourth time. <clears throat> He didn't, he didn't go into his room and close the blinds and turn out all the lights and go over in the corner and whisper his prayers. No, he opened his window. He knelt down as he always did, facing Jerusalem. And he prayed before God for all men to see. Not to be arrogant, but because that was his practice. That was what he did. He lived by his principles. Now, Daniel, as Job, could have become bitter because of this situation. He could have become angry and bitter that they would pass such a law, but he did not. He understood that God's will and purpose are more important than his comfort or happiness. He, as Jesus did, we said earlier, accepted the path that God had laid before him. You know, not too many, not too many years hence, we might we might start seeing some pretty wacky laws concerning religious freedoms. We we might see laws passed that would that would that would forbid us to meet and assemble and preach the word of God as we do. That's that's not impossible. You know. Fifty years ago, I would have said, oh, that's not possible in the United States. But here we are 50 years later, and it's, it's on the brink. It's almost there. Now, Christian, what are you going to do? What are you going to do if they pass a law that says a church like ours is not, not legal, and if you attend, you'll, you, you'll be arrested and sent to jail? What are you going to do? That's basically what happened to Daniel. Hmm? You can't pray, Daniel. 
You can't make a petition, a prayer, a request, nothing other than to the king. Daniel said, okay. He went home and did what he had to do. He made his decision based upon biblical principle and not upon situational ethics. Regardless of the personal consequences, Daniel did the right thing. Now, as with Job, Daniel was delivered from the wrath of King Darius. But again, that was, that was because it was in accordance with the will and purpose of God. Not because it's what was best for Daniel. What was best for Daniel was to obey God, even if it cost him his life. That's what was best for Daniel. But God used Daniel as a tool to demonstrate his mercy and grace. And Daniel accepted that path and was willing to pay the price. God worked things out in this situation to show King Darius and his evil governors the might and power of God. And by the way, if you read the scripture, King Darius was converted. He believed in, he believed in the Lord because Daniel stood for righteousness. Job was delivered to show Satan the righteousness of God. But wait a minute. Turned out pretty good for Job and turned out pretty good for Daniel. But we could point to countless hundreds of thousands of martyrs who died for the will and purpose of God. Was God unfair or God unrighteous in all of those instances? No. Their deaths were in accordance to the will and the purpose of God. And every one of those men and women met death employing biblical principles in the face of their trials and hardships. I see so many people. I see so many people claiming to be children of God but living compromised lives. Not standing on principle. Not, not, not ethical in their behavior as God would have them be. It's, it's not a pretty world out there. It, it really isn't. And if, if, we, if we don't wake up and see what's around us, we're going to be consumed by the corruption that's, that's all around. I mourn and I, I, I weep for my grandchildren, and for young kids. I, I, I do, I, I really do. I weep for them and God willing, I'd have great grandchildren. I, I, I don't know what they're going to face. It's not going to be our America, I'll tell you that. Folks, we have got to live by biblical principle. I hear people all the time say, well, it's just, a, it's just a little white lie. I tell them, I don't care if it's white or black. It's a lie. And it's not right. Well, you know, uh, I didn't, it didn't hurt anybody. I, I did this. And it, nobody got hurt. Well, you dishonored the Father who watches all things. You violated a biblical principle. Yes, we need to be that stringent in our lives. And listen, don't... Don't think that I'm standing right here and I'm saying I have arrived because I haven't arrived. The only place I've arrived is 
6298 Country Club Drive. That's the only place I've arrived. But no, we're all, we're all guilty of this. We don't, we don't like to think so. We, we don't like it when people say we're guilty of this. But you better wake up and you better realize we're all guilty of this. Everyone. And we better wake up fast. Because that great ship America is sinking. And it's sinking fast. Oh yes, we need to employ the principles of God's word. Exalt the name of God. When, when we face trials and hardship, exalt the name of God. Praise God. Whatever it is we're going through, praise the Lord. Don't, it's not his fault. But remember that. God didn't bring these things upon us. We brought them upon ourselves. Exalt the name of God. Employ the principles of God. It's real easy to do the right thing, by the way. Or let me say this. It's real easy to know the right thing. Because the right thing is found in the word of God. It's easy to know the right thing. It's, something, it's another thing to do the right thing. And we can't do the right thing without the grace of God. If we try to do it on our own, we're going to fail every time. We have, to, we have to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to the will of God. But then thirdly, not only should we exalt the name of God and employ the principles of God, but thirdly, embrace the promises of God. Embrace the promises of God. Turn with me to 2 Timothy. Let's, let's all go to 2 Timothy together. Second Timothy in chapter 4. Second Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 4, we begin in verse 6. We read here, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Verse 7, this is Paul's writing, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Paul said, I've kept the faith. Boy, I, you know, I would, love to, I would love to say that. I would love to be able to, to say that at the end of my life, that I've kept the faith. I mean, that, that's something I strive toward, is, is, is to, to keep my faith alive for the Lord. But Paul was ready to be offered. He, he was ready to face death. He had no fear. And he had no fear because he believed the word of God. Paul said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which he has committed unto me against that day. 2 Timothy 1.12 Paul knew that ultimately God would deliver him. Isn't that, isn't that what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego told the king? Huh? Didn't they say, O king, we're not careful to answer thee in this. They, 
they told the king one way or another, king, today, today God will, will, will free us from your, your, from your, uh, your control. Whether by death and he takes us to heaven or by defeating you and we live on, we live here. One way or either way, today, you will be put in your place. And that's, that's exactly what Paul said. He knew this. Paul knew that God would deliver him ultimately. In fact, Paul, Paul wanted to go. He, des- he desired to depart this life. And, and you know, I mean, look, I, lo- I, love, I love you, my friends. I, I love my wife. I love my children. I, I love my grandchildren. I don't want to go. I I don't want to go on the next train. But you know, as I get older, as I see what's happening all around us, I keep saying, "Lord, I'm ready whenever you are. I'm, I'm good to go." In the military, you say, "Good to go, good to go. I'm good to go. I'm good to go." Now, Lord, don't you know? I'd like to go watch Corey play soccer in a little while, so maybe we can. Hold it off to this afternoon sometime. Paul desired it. Philippians chapter 1, he says, For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. You see, Paul, Paul had already given up everything. <laughs> Paul had already, he'd already died to this life. So he said, For me to live is Christ. Paul, Paul is saying, I'm not living for myself, I'm living for Christ. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, he says, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I want not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh, which is more needful for you. Oh yes, Paul, Paul was ready to go. And he was, he was living his life on the, on the promises of God. He did not walk upon this earth seeking death, but he lived his life for the glory of the Father, and he sought to serve him at every opportunity. But he had no fear of death. He had no regrets if God called him home to glory. Second Timothy 4, 6 and 7, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And that day when you and I face the Lord, will we have regrets? Think about it for a moment. I can't answer that question for you. I can answer it for myself. But I can't answer it for you. You have to answer that question for yourself. And that day when you stand before the Lord... Will you have any regrets for regrets for for the work that was left undone, that the things that you should have done that you didn't do? Regrets for the compromises, the compromises we make in this life. Rather than choosing the way of God, going the way of the world. Regrets for failures to glorify God when we had the chance. Regrets, regrets, regrets. Listen, 
You and I will, if you're, if you're born again, if you're a child of God, you're not going to face the great white throne judgment. And in that judgment, you, you'd be happy because in that judgment, there's only one outcome, and that's eternity in hell. But you and I will face the judgment seat of Christ. And he will look at everything we've done since we were born again. Everything. The Lord has the greatest videotaping system mankind knows. Everything you, every word, every idle thought, every word, every deed will be, will be replayed before the Lord. And listen, none of us, none of us will stand there with our head raised high. None of us. We're all going to have regrets. We're all going to weep at, at, the, at the life we lived. But the scripture says, when it's all done, the Lord will wipe away our tears. And, and it'll all be gone. But what a shame it is for us to, to have to face the Lord with regrets. Today, I, I, I pray that this message that I preached was received in the way it was intended. I, 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 wasn't, I hope I didn't give you the impression that I think I'm great at all these things. Because I'm preaching, I preached this message to myself before I preached it to you. But I pray that every one of us here today would go away from this place and examine our attitudes concerning the will and purpose of God. I pray that in those difficult times that we would learn to exalt the name of God, the person of God. In those difficult times times in our life that we would employ the principles of, of, of God's word, the principles of godliness. And I pray that we would embrace the promises of God and remember, remember that God will not leave us nor forsake us and that he will not, he will not abandon us, that we will be with him in eternity. Because if we, if we learn these things, if we if we if we believe and embrace these things, they're gonna it's gonna affect our attitudes. And our attitudes will affect how we live. Let's have the right thinking when it comes to trouble and hardship, right thinking on the will and purpose of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time that we've had. Regrets. So many regrets. So many things we wish we could go back and do again. So many times we've, we've, we've fallen and so many times we've failed. But Lord, I, I'm so thankful. I was, I was thinking this morning, you are a forgiving God. You forgive us. And if we're faithful to confess, you're faithful to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's just as a father loves his children and he doesn't forsake them because 
they've done wrong, we know, Lord, that you are right by our side and that you will strengthen us and you will, you will teach us and you will guide us. Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves today, not to be, not to be proud and, and, and puff up and say, ah, that doesn't apply to me. I'm, I'm not that way. We're all that way, Lord, every one of us. So we ask your grace upon us today. We ask you to forgive us and cleanse us of our unrighteousness. Help us, Lord, to live our lives before those around us in such a way that you are glorified, that your name is glorified. We can't do it alone, Father. We need your Holy Spirit. So I pray today that we would humble ourselves and yield ourselves to your guidance. Bless us now as we leave this place. We ask you your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Broner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.